I hope Jeremy and Krista are watching. Um, but Jeremy, every time I'm coming here, you leave. So I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. But I did get to hold Jacob Allen last week. Oh my goodness, it was great. I actually gave him up in good time. I uh, was holding him and feeding him a little bit, and <clears throat> Judy Fortner looked and. She had this mother-grandma longing thing in her eyes, so I said, would you like to hold him? She said, sure. I handed him over, and he had a big blowout, man. It was great. <laughs> she went, oh, okay. <laughs> so then Krista took him and changed him. I told her I could, but she didn't want to do that. So, uh, But anyhow, so then he came back, and he was ready to sleep. So I just sat there after lunch and held him for about 30 minutes, and phew, my blood pressure went so low, I was almost asleep, so thanks for that. All right, open your Bibles, please, to Daniel 9. We're not going to stay there very long, but we need a launching place, because Matthew 21, it, it paints Matthew 21 in color, if we look at Daniel 9 first. Messiah came on time. I mentioned this morning that 100% of God's prophecies, promises, predictions, however you want to say them, that have been fulfilled to these moments right now, 100% of them have come true exactly as he said them, exactly when he said them, whether we knew the timing or not. The timing was perfect. Now, this actually happens to be one where we can nail the timing, even though some have disputed that, but that's okay. Um, I don't have any problem when God says, this is what's going to happen, and it happens over here. I know it happened exactly when it should. Daniel chapter 9, <clears throat> excuse me, Gabriel brings a message to Daniel about timing, about God's timing in dealing with his people. In verse 24, 77s are determined upon your people, that's Israel and Jerusalem, and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, the first three, to me, seem clearly to refer to things that were going to happen when Jesus came the first time. The second three seem clearly to me to be things that will happen when he comes back, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and that's a phrase that means everything will be finished, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, and that is dated, that is actually dated in about the year 445 B.C., I say about because it depends on whether you're going by our calendar or theirs. But on the exact date that the command went forth, that date is recorded. Historic fact. Unto the coming of the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, seven sevens again, and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prophets say that God knows the end from the beginning. 
And the, the awesome thing about that is that everything that happens from the beginning to the end is known by him and set by him and timed by him. And we try to look at him with our little human eyes, and many times it doesn't make sense. What's happening today makes no sense at all until you back up and say, this does make sense to God, and I will trust him. I, I, I don't understand it, but I will trust him. Well, when this command was given, nobody that heard that, Daniel, Gabriel heard it from God, none of the people who read this exactly understood at that time. And none of them that heard these words at the beginning lived until Jesus came. However, when you go back and track on the Jewish calendar, exactly the timing that was given, turn over to Matthew 21, and the exact day of its fulfillment was the day that Jesus came into the city in what we call the triumphal entry. I tell my Jewish friends, your prophet said that the Messiah was going to come on that day. No other person came on that day being proclaimed as the Messiah. By the way, on that day, Jesus did not proclaim himself to be the Messiah, but the people did. The people that were orchestrating this parade, and I thought of this when the kids came in and blew their little shofars, I thought of the kids the kids in this parade in Matthew 21, I mean, they were singing as loud as they could sing. They were singing so loud that it could be heard from the top of the Mount of Olives where the parade began. The road winds to the north and west, comes down into and crosses the Brook Kidron, and turns a 90 and comes straight south along the Brook Kidron, then turns another 90 and goes up into the Eastern Gate. That's the route that's recorded here. From the top of the hill, now you couldn't hear anything from the top of the hill now, but back then you could, because there's a city, there's basically a city between the top of the Mount of Olives, and there's big hotels up there, and there's all kind of businesses and traffic and everything. You couldn't do it. But from the beginning of the top of the hill, they start singing these songs. And this is what we see in verse 4 of chapter 21. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's pray before we go any farther. Lord, um, there is just so much here, and I am so excited about it, and it is so awesome. Um, I... I forgot to stop and, and talk to you first. God, please help us not to miss any of this. Help us to never get over the amazing Savior that we have. Lord, forgive us for the times that we were not satisfied with the relationship and went on for other things. That's why these people are doing this, Lord. They, they don't experience you daily uh, even if they have what might be called a salvation relationship, they don't have fellowship with you daily, or they wouldn't want jingly things in their pockets. They would have awesome gems in their heart and mind from their morning reading and from the Holy Spirit bringing back your word through songs and through their memory. 
Lord God, please help us today not to be informed by this, but to be changed by the things that are in these verses, because this is you speaking today. Please speak. Your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very clear that what was happening that day had been prophesied. Genesis 49, verses 8 to 12, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on the colt. Zechariah requotes that and adds, having salvation in himself. Makes it very clear that this Messiah that was going to come, riding on a colt, was a possessor of the salvation that we needed. He was the salvation that we needed. His name is Yeshua, which means salvation. It's the word that David used every time he mentions salvation in the Psalms. He uses Jesus' name. Well, it was prophesied in Genesis 49, that, and it was strange. Your Messiah is going to come riding on a donkey? What is that all about? You know, if, if, if the president came to Chattanooga and was riding a donkey, you'd say, okay. And a lot of people would, a lot of people would make some wisecrack statements about that. <laughs> Maybe say that it fit. But it wouldn't be what we would consider. But it was prophesied, it happened, and it was to them a symbol of royalty. It wasn't what we would think of it today. Somebody riding on a donkey, Grandpappy Amos from the, the Real McCoys used to ride on a donkey. But no, this was something amazing that was going to happen. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Now, it's four days before Passover. They start singing Psalm 118, which is one of the Hallel Psalms, which is sung during the Passover dinner four nights later. They start singing the whole thing now. Something's wrong. Because the people who are singing and the people who are hearing it down in the city and down around the gate are two completely different groups of people. The group that's singing it is singing it as a profession of their faith. The people who are listening are saying, this is blasphemy. I mean, this would be like if they played Hail to the Chief when you or I walked into the auditorium. It doesn't fit. It's not our song. Every Jewish person there knew that Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm. They knew it was supposed to be sung for him once he came. It was sung about him until he came. Well, they had sung it about him from I don't know how many centuries, because I don't know when they started singing it. But in the day of Jesus, they sang 113 to 118, the praise to God, Hallel Psalms. And they were singing it that day when he came. They start wailing out this song. The multitude does something. I don't have time to go into it, but they do something in verse 8, which symbolized the coming of God back into his tabernacle. So everything about this, what they're singing, what they're doing, the excitement, the fact that they are singing to him, Hashanah ben David, save us, son of David. They weren't just singing it 
about this somebody that was going to come someday. They're singing it to him. The multitudes who went before and those who cried out, saying, Hashanah to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hashanah in the highest. May the highest save us. They are calling upon him to deliver them. Some people say, they're just calling on him to deliver them militarily, not this group of people. I hear people say, well, those same people who said, you know, Hosanna to the son of David, later they said, crucify him. No indication of that at all. I think it's impossible for the people to say and sing what they did to him that day and say, crucify him. Two groups of people, completely different groups of people. The one group very learned in the scriptures. The other group of people who didn't know a whole lot, but they had faith in what they knew and faith in the person they were believing in, and they were now proclaiming him to be their salvation. Notice what it says here. They, they, they start calling out Hashanah to the son of David. Um, the first part of it goes like this. Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai, Alleluia. Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai, Alleluia. Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai, Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai. Alleluia. By the way, I love to sing Hebrew because nobody knows if I mess up the words. <laughs> and it's always in a minor key, so if I get a little bit off, everybody goes, oh, it sounds just like Jesus, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I did pretty good on that one. Dr. Price caught me on, on messing up some Hebrew words one time. There was a man in the audience who knew the exact Hebrew words, and he said, well, that was an interesting translation of that passage, so... Turn back to Psalm 118, verse 26. This is, this is amazing. I, I just, ah, I've never preached through this passage and gone back and, and seen what I saw yesterday and today in Psalm 118. It just, wow. In verse 14, this is what they sing at Passover. Interesting, 28 times. And Psalm 118, the highest name of God is used, the name that no Jewish person will try to speak. They spell it out, or they, they call God by another name, Adonai or Elohim. In fact, when they write God, they never write G-O-D. They write G slash D. Somebody asked me about that, and that's, that shows that it's probably a Jewish person. That's just a habit that they've had. But 28 times he uses the highest name. They sing the highest name of God 28 times. Verse 14, Yahweh is my strength and song, and he has become my Yeshua. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand, wait a minute, who's at the right hand? The prince. Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh is exalted. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of Yahweh. The, the Lord, Yahweh, has chastened me severely. 
but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. By the way, the Jewish people say that verses 19 and 20 are a description of one gate of Jerusalem, the eastern gate. It's called the gate of the righteous. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. There were two gates, an outer gate and an inner gate. So it's not like there were two different gates of righteousness. Here's the interesting thing, though. At exactly the same time that Jesus finished the processional and went into the eastern gate, about 400 yards straight north of there, Sheep Gate was open and being filled with Passover lambs coming in at the same time. He came the day that the Passover lambs came to the city. Oh, what a coincidence. No, no. It was exactly what the prophecy said. On the day Messiah would come, he came, the lambs came, he was the Lamb of God. Up until that year, none of those lambs died for nothing. It was always a picture. It was a temporary covering for sin. Until the Messiah came and died, that year, every lamb died for nothing. Because the substitute Passover lamb, the man who was substituted for the ram, died that day. Open the gates of righteousness. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my Yeshua. Notice this. The stone which the builders rejected has become. Notice that word in verse 22. Notice it back up in verse 14. Notice it also in verse 21. This person has become my Yeshua. He exists, comes to pass, is, or happens to become salvation. Do you know that didn't happen until God enfleshed himself? And God became Yeshua. It's the name of his son. And all of this is about his son, Yeshua. And the Jewish people sing about it every Passover. And those people were singing this song. And the the adverse reaction of the Pharisees, turn back to Matthew 21 with me. When he come into Jerusalem, verse 10, all the city was moved, saying, wait a minute. Is anybody outside saying, who is this? They're all going, whoo, Hashanah, Ben David, save us, deliver us, son of David. In fact, I believe they sang the whole Psalm 118. I don't think they were just singing Hashanah, Ben David. I think they were singing the whole thing. Do you know why? You know, I believe that because the Pharisees got so riled up, they, they wanted to lynch him then. Notice this word, when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. That's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when it says, Herod, when Herod heard about the birth of the Messiah, the king of the Jewish people, he was moved and all Jerusalem with him. You know the southern saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, in the days of Jesus, if Herod ain't happy, there ain't nobody happy. And that's the same word, the same way that Herod got so extremely mad, mad enough to kill hundreds of children, these Pharisees are going, no, it can't be. They're calling him the Messiah. Out of their psalm that they were going to sing in four days at the Passover meal. Well, you talk about in their face. 
Those little children didn't do that to be in anybody's face. They were, they were in faith with the one that they were singing to. Not just children. There were some adults, too. There were some adults that got it. But the kids always get it first, it seems like. He goes in there. The people are fired up. The multitude said, this is Yeshua. Here's the, here's the interesting answer. The people who have just been singing this, oh, this is salvation. This is Yeshua. Notice how they describe him. The prophet from the dry root, not zarit, means a dry root. You know that the New Testament says he shall be called a Nazarene, or the Old Testament says he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus was never called a Nazarene in the New Testament. Is it true? Yeah. Right here. He is from the dry root, not zarit. The name of the city that he was from was a reminder of the prophecies about Shiloh coming, the one who would be from the dry root, the offspring of David, who would come out of a dry root. A woman who should not have a baby is going to have a baby. Jesus went into the temple of God. Okay, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And he beat the fire out of the Pharisees. That's my translation of it, okay? I love it. He did this twice, by the way. You look in the Gospels, he did it early in his ministry. But when he comes back, the same guys are back there. They're doing the same things. But wait a minute. When you read it, they're not doing things that are against the law. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Well, you go back and look in the Old Testament, they were allowed to do that. They were allowed to sell sacrifices. If you came from 500 miles away and you brought a lamb and that lamb walked 500 miles away, that lamb would not be unblemished by the time you got to the temple. Uh, that lamb would probably be skin and bones and nothing left. Provision was made in the temple area for people to buy sacrifices. That's why there was a Passover lamb flock outside of the hills of, under, under the hill of Bethlehem. Because people mostly didn't bring their own lamb. If they live close enough, they could do that. You drive in. Well, you don't drive in. Okay, You walk your lamb in, bring him in in the cart so it doesn't get hurt, whatever. Even the way Jesus was born, even the way it describes his birth, shows that he was protected from injury like the lambs were, the Passover lambs. So this is not a secret. And these were not illegal things to do. However... Let's say if somebody comes into the service today, pastor, and they have <clears throat> German money, and they don't have anything else to give but that German money, and one of your ushers says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help him out. I know what the exchange rate is. The exchange rate is 8 to 1. So I'm going to exchange it. Well, if that person was going to give you $100 worth value of German money, and one of your other deacons, or one of your other um, ushers says, eh, let's just give him three, okay? Who's going to know? Who will care? And you say to that German, well, the exchange rate is 3% today. Whose money have you taken? You've taken God's money. That's what this was about. The exchange rate on the money, the sale of Blind and lame sacrifices, you go back and look, and any time the prophets 
God blasted and the, and the prophets turned around and blasted on the people. It was for the blind and lame sacrifices that they were bringing in. Now, we used to raise sheep. We had one blind lamb out of all the time we ever raised a sheep. After about four or five days, you couldn't tell. We knew, but you couldn't tell which one was the blind one because their, their hearing was so fine-tuned that they would just follow right along with the rest of the flock. I could bring that blind lamb, which is not clean to offer to God, and say to you, have I got a deal for you on a lamb? You wouldn't know the difference. You say, what about lame? Wouldn't you know they're lame? Well, by the time the people came into the temple area, it was so packed, you wouldn't go set your lamb down for fear of losing your lamb or having your lamb injured on the way into the temple to offer it to the priest. So there were ways for people to be deceived, and they were. And Jesus knew it. But I think the big rub here was that he was throwing out some of the same people that he'd thrown out three years ago that were still there, stealing God's money, cheating God's people. And they were cheating God also out of having a pure sacrifice. And God held that against them, not against the people who were unknowingly offering the sacrifice. God's real fair that way. He's good. So he drove them out, and he said, wow, if they weren't already mad enough that the little kids were singing, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. He's the only one that can save us. It's not you, Pharisee guys. But then he says, this is my house. He took and personalized a statement that Yahweh said in the Old Testament to the prophets. You tell those who are desecrating my house, that it is my house. So Jesus said, this is my house. You don't do this in my house. You know, there are, there are really brainless people. Actually, they have to be liars who say that Jesus never knew he was God, never claimed to be God. Hello? Here it is. Then, but notice the irony here. This is, this is so cool. The blind and lame sacrifices are being sold in the temple, unclean, and Jesus could look at every one because he was God and know which ones were unclean and which ones weren't. He knew which people had been cheated of their money. Then he turns around. Now, there's a group of people followed him in the gate. You could get in the gate. You could get inside the outer gate. You could get inside the inner eastern gate. But right there, there was a sign. No unclean people beyond this point. And they knew what that meant because the Bible is very clear. If you had sicknesses, if you had like skin diseases, um, you know, if you were blind, if you were crippled, um, you know, there were, there were restrictions. Oh, and if you were a Gentile, <laughs> don't ever be proud of being a Gentile, okay? It means pagan idol worshiper. But they weren't allowed into the temple. Well, those people had to stop. Jesus went on. He threw the guys out of the temple area. And the blind and lame came to him. And what did he do? He healed them. He said, now you guys can come in. You can come in and offer the sacrifices that were supposed to be offered after your cleansing. All they had to do was to be was clean, blind and lame, poop, he can see. 
Okay, now you got to have a turtle dove. Okay, no problem, Jesus. Take care of it. Because that's what he told people to do. Go and offer the sacrifice of the leper. Showing that you're cleansed. And then offer the sacrifice. Well, they're still not happy. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple. Uh-oh, they brought the parade inside. Uh-oh, you're supposed to use your inside voice. And we say that to our grandkids, use your inside voice. Well, they weren't using their inside voice. They were still crying out this beautiful psalm four days early that was totally about Messiah. And they were saying, this is him. He is here. He's the Messiah. He said to them, they were indignant. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, he rebuked him. He said, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Same word for worship in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings comes perfect worship praise of me. He was saying everything that these kids... Now, wait a minute. If those were not believers, if those people that were professing him were not real believers, then they couldn't worship him. But he said, they are worshiping me. I want to wrap it up with a couple of questions for you today. Jesus was messing up the plans of the Pharisees. They had a system. They they had everybody under their thumb that they could. He's messing up their plans. Is he messing up your plans today? Do you have other things in your future than what he has? How do you know? Well, have you asked him? Are, Are you afraid to make financial move? Are you afraid to make a major decision in your life without asking the only one who knows what you should do? I am. And it's not because I'm all that spiritual. It's because I've messed up so much in the past. We better learn from our mistakes. Because I have never waited upon him. I have never asked him. And it messed me up. When I go running ahead... I've always got to come back and say, yikes, I did it again. Secondly, we're not supposed to walk around and sing songs. That's not what I'm saying. How much is your life professing who he is? Because these people weren't just saying who he is. They were saying what he can do. The change in their life, their new song. This reminds me of Revelation 14, the 144,000. They had a new song that nobody could sing except the redeemed. Uh, People are all around us, and they're looking and listening, and, and it's dark out there. And people are seeing everything else other than light. They're hearing about every other way other than the son of David, the only one who can deliver them. Now, Those of you who know me know that I'm not a philosopher. I only know one quote from Aristotle. (laughs) I know two quotes from Shakespeare, and they're both funny, so that's why I know them. That's why I remembered them. Aristotle said, 
You know what the good thing is by what the good man does. Fact is, all of the jingling in the pockets the pastor was talking about, what a major difference between that kind of a religion and a living personal relationship with the Son of God. And how will people know that? They'll know it by the way you treat them, by the way you talk to them, by the way you honor them, pray for them, when they don't deserve good treatment. They will know, you know, I've, I've been all over people lately who, who yell and scream at their wives and children, abusers. And the other day, right in the middle of a long honk of my horn, <laughs> I realized that I just yelled at that lady. I yelled at her and treated her bad. And I said, okay, Lord, sorry about that. I'll stay off of the horn. I've been doing pretty good. been doing pretty good. And I can't blame the stupid people that pull out in front of me. There's a lot of them. You know, like Jesus said about the poor, you always have them with you. You always have stupid drivers with you too. That's how they will know. What kind of song is your life singing? God's keeping his promises to you. He will. You may not see the timing, but it's always going to be perfect. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, we can't claim any special knowledge or super intelligence because we can understand and see these things. Without your spirit, we wouldn't get it. Without your word, even without history recording the date, we couldn't see. We, we would still have faith that, that you came on time. But Lord, please help us to remember your perfect record in the past and your perfect record in the future. We just have to wait upon you, and you will do in your time what you have said you will do. In the meantime, it's our job to have such a song in our life that people will understand and know that you are living inside of us. We have believed in you, and it's not us. But this is a Savior that is not just for us. He is for them also. Help us to be faithful during the Feast of Weeks before you come back to tell people who you are, that you have come, that you have delivered us and that you can and will deliver them if they'll put their faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.